Hi, I'm Joseph Feraldi. I want to thank you for joining us here at Bayside Chapel Online. Our prayer is that today's service will be a blessing to you, that it will encourage you in your journey with Jesus Christ, and it will help you to see all that God has in store for you. We would love to hear from you on how God is using this ministry to bless you, and we'd love the opportunity to pray for you. Just send us an email at amen at baysidechapel.org. Remember that you can stay in touch with us at any time. Just visit the App Store and search for our app at Bayside Chapel of NJ. Also, if God is using this ministry to bless you, we'd like to give you the opportunity to partner with us financially. Simply go online to BaysideChapel.org or use the Bayside Chapel app and choose whatever option works best for you. Enjoy today's message. All right. Any other, any other 80s kids here? Come on, we could like, you could cheer, shout something, raise your hand. There we go. All right. Now, one of the cool things about being born in the late 80s meant that, sorry, sorry. I'm young. One of the cool things about being born in the late 80s meant that I was coming of age in, in the late 90s, the time when uh, personal computers were becoming quite a big deal um, from Oh man, I don't know how young, but maybe even like preteen days. Um, I learned to like build websites, uh, do graphics, um, fix computers, all, all that fun stuff. And it was obviously only PCs back then. I've since um, gotten saved and I use uh, Apple now. No, no more PCs. But one of the common PC problems that I always found myself coming up against are those pesky computer viruses. Right? It's especially those really, really annoying, like Trojan horse viruses, is what they call them. Now, what makes a Trojan horse virus so annoying is that it has malicious code that always comes in a seemingly innocent package. For example, um, you could get an email from somebody with a seemingly innocent PDF attachment, and then you go and click that PDF attachment, and your whole computer is infected. Uh, now, the viruses that I dealt with when I was fixing computers and stuff, they were always small, unsophisticated, never really that difficult. Um, but that's not always the case. It's one of the most not notable and uh, damaging attacks when it comes to computer viruses happened in May 2017. Um, and it's, they call it the WannaCry, um, <laughs> the WannaCry virus, and you'll understand why in a minute. See, what this virus did was it exploited a vulnerability that was in the Windows operating system. Um, so uh, once it entered into a computer, what would happen is it would rapidly spread and infect all the other computers that were on that same network. And so when it's all said and done, this virus, it ended up um, attacking hundreds and infecting hundreds and hundreds of thousands of computers uh, from people over 150 different countries. Um, and like it, it collapsed some pretty serious networks. Uh, I read that there were 19,000 19, uh, procedures that were supposed to happen in different hospitals that got canceled simply as a result of this virus. Um, it it uh, interrupted government agencies, it messed up small businesses, it ended up costing a total of like $4 billion uh, in damages. Now here's the kicker though. See, this virus was really easily preventable. Because two months before the virus re was released, Microsoft 
put out an update. And if you were somewhat diligent with your computers, you regularly update the security software or whatever Microsoft tells you to update. So it was only the people who didn't update their system, their operating system, that got infected with this virus. Now, there's a spiritual lesson here, I promise. You didn't come here to learn about computers. Um, the spiritual lesson here is that, similar to computer viruses, there have always been malicious spiritual viruses that have crept into families or into our small groups or into churches, even entire denominations. And these viruses often come in seemingly harmless packaging, right? And harmless as they might be, though, their intent, their motive is always malicious. Right? You, you see false teachers who are dead set on destroying the church's witness, or those who are set on causing division amongst the saints, or those who are, who are so determined to, to corrupt or, or, or detract or take away from the historic, orthodox, biblical uh, Christian beliefs, or you have those who are set on distracting us from taking our eyes off the prize. This happens in our day regularly, but not just our day. It's been happening since the early church in the first century for the past 2,000 years. In fact, one New Testament writer put uh, ink to parchment uh, to caution first century believers to guard against these types of uh, spiritual virus attacks. Now, I'm speaking of Jude. Jude is a book of the Bible, and if you didn't know that, um, it's one of those books that we easily skip over because in my 2,000-page Bible, it's literally one page. Uh, so it's really easy to skip over. It's the second to last book of the Bible, right before Revelation. Um, one of the shortest books, there's like 461 words in the original language in, in our translations that's broken down into 25 verses. Um, but it's also one of the most neglected books. So this morning, we're starting a four-week series through this one-chapter book of Jude, and we're calling this series, Let's Get Ready to Rumble. Uh, if I have any Bruce Buffer impersonators, you could go ahead and shout that out. No, please don't. <laughs> so this short but, but powerful book here uh, is going to show us how we can avoid some of these age-old traps of false teaching, of counterfeit, distorted gospels. And just as a computer's operating system needs uh, consistent care to withstand and guard against viruses, Jude's going to encourage us to fight to ensure that our uh, spiritual operating systems are functioning as they should, that they're being cared for and protected against and guarded against these spiritual viruses, whether they're viruses that start outside the church and want to make their way in or viruses that have already infiltrated the church and, and want to creep their way in and become even more prominent. So to use the language of Jude that we're going to see this morning, God has called each and every saint, each and every church to contend earnestly for the faith. That's a key phrase throughout Jude, contend earnestly for the faith, which means to take seriously the gospel of Christ by seriously believing its truth and seriously defending it. So far from whatever casual approaches to Christianity we may have, Jude's going to use pretty strong language and some vivid metaphors. He uses words, borrows words from military um, language. He borrows some um, athletic language. And he's using all this terminology to remind us that the Christian life is not a playground. 
It's a battlefield. The Christian life is not a playground. It's a battlefield. Your Christian life was never intended to be taken lightly. Your child's walk with Christ, your grandchild's walk with Christ was never intended to be taken lightly. It's not something we approach casually. It's not something that we engage in half-heartedly or haphazardly, as if we're playing on a child's playground with no rules, no cares, and no purpose. Instead, God's going to remind us today through his word that we're not children on a playground. Far from that, we're actually soldiers on a battlefield. At the moment of regeneration, the moment that he saved us, not only did he grant you citizenship to his heavenly kingdom, not only did he give you sonship and adopt you and make you one of his own and make you an heir of his son's blessings, not only did he make you a saint of his holy priesthood, but what we're going to see today is at the moment of regeneration, Jesus also enlisted you into his spiritual army. Jesus enlisted you into his spiritual army. Now, it's a different army than we're used to. It's an army that fights not with worldly weapons, not with fists, not with cruel words, not with hate, not with ill motives, and it's an army that fights not in our own strength and in our own confidence. But see, it's a spiritual army that follows close behind our commander, Christ. It's an army that fights with the full armor of God. Right, Ephesians 6, we stand battle-ready with the weapons of truth. We stand battle-ready with the weapon of righteousness and faith and salvation and scripture and peace. And, and, this, and we're an army, ultimately, that safeguards the treasure and preciousness and purity of the gospel. It's our job to ensure that the gospel remains undiluted and that the teaching of the church remains undefiled. So this morning, as we look at these first four verses in Jude, God wants to wake us up from our spiritual slumber and he wants to remind us that we are soldiers entrusted with guarding the sacred treasure of the gospel. We're soldiers entrusted with guarding the sacred treasure of the gospel. So I'm going to read the first four verses in Jude. Um, but before I do that, let's just pause and, and pray for a moment to surrender ourselves to the Spirit's illuminating work. Heavenly Father, as we open up the scriptures and as we listen to your voice, your words, through the leading of the Holy Spirit, I pray and ask that you would reveal your heart to us, and in the process of revealing your heart to us, that you would search our hearts, Lord, and that you would apply your truth to our lives as you give us the ability to discern what is important. And we submit to you, we submit to your authority, we submit to your guidance, your wisdom, your counsel, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So listen to the first four verses in Jude, Jude 1 through 4. He opens up his letter with this. He says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ." So, 
We are soldiers who serve Christ, our high commander, right? As Jude says, our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. And because we've been given the Holy Spirit, we already have everything we need to serve God on the battlefront. We already have every uh, resource, every weapon that we need is at our disposal. So Jude 1 through 4 in these four verses, he's going to give us three important reminders when it comes to contending for the faith, for fighting for the faith, wrestling for the faith. So here's your first reminder. It's that we serve in the assurance of our identity in Christ. So before Jude is going to exhort the church to contend for the faith, he's first going to open his letter with a typical first century greeting. A typical first century letter, would um, the author would identify himself, the author would identify those he's writing to, and then there's usually some kind of benediction or prayer or something in, in this greeting. All right, so, but what we want to see is because almost every uh, epistle in the New Testament starts this way, we don't want uh, to get lost in the familiarity of it and miss the beauty of it. Because in his greeting, um, Jude's carefully chosen spirit-inspired words remind his readers, and they remind us by extension, of who we are in Christ. Okay, so look at how Jude starts. Verse 1, he says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Now, Jude immediately identifies himself as the author of this little letter. Now, here's the thing. In the Greek, it actually says Judas, in, um, but he went by Jude. Why did he go by Jude? Was there another Judas, maybe, that he didn't want to be associated with? People didn't want him thinking, oh, I got this letter from Judas. We're not going to read this and see what he has to say, right? It, Maybe the story goes that they were kind of just hanging around one day and Judas was like, oh man, I gotta, I gotta change my name or figure something out. And one of the other disciples looked at him and said, hey, Jude. <laughs> yep, I said that. <laughs> so this is Jude, right? This is the Jude we're talking about, Judas. Now he identifies himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. Now, he doesn't actually use the word servant. The word he uses is actually the word for slave, doulos. And, and it's, it means bond servant. And what he's doing here is he's expressing the, the depth of his commitment to and his, uh, the depth of his humility in serving the king of kings. And he also tells us that he's the brother of James. Now, we know James was a prominent leader of the early church. James wrote one of the books in our New Testament, and the other thing we know James for is James is the half-brother of Jesus. So if James is the half-brother of Jesus and Jude is James' brother, what's the relation between Jude and Jesus? Half-brother. This is Jesus' half-brother writing this. you think he'd lead with that. you think he'd say, hey, this is Jude, the biological brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't. He didn't lead with that. He found his contentment in being a slave of Jesus, a bond servant, in serving him. See, Matthew 13 is, is when you, where you see that. They're, in, they're uh, questioning Jesus when he's in his hometown, and they say to him, is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary, and are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Now, here's the thing. See, despite growing up, with Jesus, Jude and his other brothers did not believe Jesus was the Messiah in his earthly ministry. 
They thought, in fact, Scripture tells us they actually thought Jesus was mentally unstable. They thought he was nuts. Um, but something dramatically changed. What was it that happened? The resurrection, right? The resurrection changed everything. It was the resurrection that changed everything for all the brothers, and it changed everything from Jude. It transformed him from a skeptical mocker to a joy-filled follower of his brother. So he says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. So here Jude now is telling us who this letter was originally for. Now he doesn't, as was typically common, he doesn't identify any particular church, any particular group of Christians, in any particular city. Instead, he simply identifies those who were intended as the recipients of his letter as those who are called, beloved, and kept. Now, these are three passive verbs, meaning we do none of this. God is the one doing all of the action. It's God, the, God is the one who initiates and completes the action, right? So God calls, God loves, God keeps. It's all about God doing. To say it another way, if you're a follower of Christ, this means that God has called you to himself, God has set you apart for himself, and God preserves you by himself. See, Jude knew how important it was to remind the believers of their identity in Christ. Because if we've been called by God to contend for the faith, to fight for the faith, we must first recognize that we're already firmly established in God's love and protection. Right? You'd be pretty afraid walking out onto a battlefield without any armor, without any equipment, without knowing anything. But our service to Jesus in contending for the faith comes out as a result out of who we are, of our identity in Christ, who Jesus has called us, what he's given to us. So verse one reminds us that we serve in the assurance of our identity in Christ, which means that if we don't know, or if we don't truly believe the new identity that we've been given in Christ, we won't be effective in guarding the gospel and contending for the faith. Our attempts at fighting for truth are gonna come across as unloving or unkind or unmerciful, or ungracious, or self-centered, or self-righteous. So the first step in guarding the sacred treasure of the gospel is to know who you are in Christ. Verse 1 serves as a reminder of these, some of these different statements of identity, right? That just as Jude is a servant of Jesus, so we're called to be bond servants. We're ones who are subject to the will of the commander. We're those who are wholly at his full, disposable, his full disposal for whatever he wants to use us for. So to say that I am a servant of Christ is to express absolute devotion and dependence and submission to him. So you are a servant of Jesus. Jude says you are also one who's been called by God. So you've been called. God's spirit has called you out of the darkness into the light, right? He's convicted you of your sinfulness. He's shown you everything that Christ has done for you. He's shown you and revealed to you who Jesus is, and he helped you start following Jesus. And all of this happened by God's grace and love at his initiation, which means that we can be confident then in our mission of guarding the gospel. Because if God is the one who initiated the call, he's also the one who's going to sustain us 
and follow through in equipping us for whatever he wants us to do, whatever it is that he's calling us to do. So you're a servant of Jesus. You're a called one. And then we also see here that you are loved. You are a much-loved child. It says, beloved in God the Father. Because it was God's love for you that prompted his call of you. He loved you, he loves you, and he will continue to love you forever. Now, for those who are in Christ, that means God is our Father. And that means he loves us with a perfect and permanent, heavenly, fatherly affection. It's not a fleeting love that's based on uh, his uh, emotional ups and downs. It's not a conditional love that's based upon our performance. There's nothing we can do to get God to love us more, and there's nothing we can do that will somehow force God to start loving us less. It's only about him and his love for us. So it's out of this love relationship that we're able to rest in the assignment that God has given to us in guarding the gospel and contending for the faith. And we're to do it lovingly, peaceably, not divisively, not harshly. So you're a servant. You're called. You're loved. And then the last identity statement that we see in verse 1 is that you are secure. Jude says you are kept for Jesus Christ. Now the word translated Kept here, it means to protect, to, uh, to guard, to keep, from hard, uh, to keep from harm, or to persevere, and to preserve. So the emphasis here is that Jesus keeps us, he secures us, he guards our salvation. It's him, he's the one who keeps us safe, he's the one who saves us by his grace, he's the one who sustains us by his grace, he's the one who secures us by his grace. So by his work on earth, Jesus obtained salvation for us. And now by his continuing work in heaven, Jesus maintains salvation for us. So we could be assured when scripture says that we have an inheritance that can never perish, one that can never spoil, one that can never fade, one that is kept in heaven. And we could believe the truth of God's word when it says that we are shielded by God's power until Jesus returns again. We're kept safe for Christ, we're guarded as his property, and he's going to claim us upon his return. What a glorious thing. Church, we serve our commander in the assurance of the new identity that he's given to us. So make sure you know who you are in Christ. You're not going to do that apart from being in the word. Submit yourself to the authority of God's word to know who you are in Christ. Consistently be in the word because that's where truth is found. The truth about who Jesus is, the truth about who he says we are. So when it comes then to contending for the faith, right, serving King Jesus in his holy, loving, spiritual army, Jude has reminded us that we serve first in the assurance of our identity in Christ. Now here's the second important reminder. And it's that we serve out of the abundance of our blessings from Christ. We serve out of the abundance of our blessings from Christ. See, everything that we need for life, everything that we need for godliness, Jesus has already provided for us. He's blessed us, as it says in Ephesians. He's blessed us in the heavenlies with every spiritual blessing which includes every single resource we'll ever need to represent God's kingdom on earth as his ambassadors. And we see this in verse 2. Jude says, May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. 
So here Jude is highlighting now three abundant blessings, these three extraordinary blessings that flow into the life of every single person who has put their trust in Jesus alone for salvation. He desires that mercy, peace, and love be multiplied, right, or, or increased, right, that the saints be filled with these three uh, Christian graces to the point of overflowing. Now, mercy here is a picture of God's loving kindness and his compassion. It's that characteristic of God that moves him to seek a relationship with us, those who have no right to be in a relationship with him. Peace here. So you have mercy, then there's peace. Peace here pictures the everlasting peace that Jesus made between us and the Father as a result of his death on the cross, right? We have external peace, we have peace with God the Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, it doesn't, so whatever's going on out here, we have peace with God, we're good. But not only do we have external peace, we have internal peace, right? Paul says, we pray, and that may the peace of God pass all understanding. So we have the internal peace that comes from Jesus. So we have external peace, internal peace, but not only that, we also have eternal peace forever, peacefully secure in the loving embrace of Jesus. As one author said, God is the Lord of peace, Jesus is the mediator of peace, and we are the heirs of peace. Which means just as we received peace from God, he's called us to contend for the faith peaceably. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. So when we're fighting for the faith, we're doing so peaceably. Humbly, selflessly, not chaotically, not out of anger. So you have mercy, you have peace, and then you have love. And this is simply the picture of God's sacrificial love for his children. Right? Because God loves us, he gives us mercy that leads to peace. I love the way one commentator wrote it. They said, to say God is love implies that all his activity is loving activity. If he creates, he creates in love. If he rules, he rules in love. If he judges, he judges in love. So because God is love and because we have received that love, that means that when we contend for the faith, we should also be reflecting that love. It should be a very loving contending, right? That means it's selfless. That means it's sacrificial. That means the reason we're fighting for the faith is not so we can win an argument. It's so we could win a person. It's about caring for them and loving them. It's not about wanting to be right. See, one of the things Jude has been doing so far is reminding the church of who they are in Christ, right? Because who they are is fundamental to what they do. You do what you do because of what you think of you, right? So understanding who you are in Christ is really, really important. And another thing that he's doing now is he's reminding them of all the spiritual blessings and resources that they have in Christ, so our response then to Jude's reminder of our blessings in Christ is simply this. Know what you have from Christ. Know who you are in Christ and now know what you have from Christ. Just as it's important to know who you are in Christ, it's just as important to know all of the spiritual blessings that he's given to you. According to verse 2, you have mercy, you have peace, you have love. And this is not just any kind of mercy or peace or love. It's not just a small amount, but it's an overflowing abundance of mercy and peace and love means we have abundant mercy available to us and we have abundant mercy available to others as God lives, as Jesus lives through us, loving others. 
being merciful to others. So as we contend for the faith in a society that's so focused on self, in a world that's so quick to ridicule every believer or anybody who believes differently than them, where false teachers are looking to destroy the gospel, where God is extending his mercy in all of these places, in all of these situations, he's extending his mercy to help us in our time of need, as his word says. So as we face the turmoil in our world, as we stand up for truth, we're going to need an abundance of mercy, an abundance of peace, and an abundance of love. So, so far then, Jude has reminded us that we serve in the assurance of our identity in Christ, and we serve out of the abundance of our blessings from Christ. Now here's his third reminder for us, and that's simply this. We serve to advance the truth of Christ. We serve to advance the truth of Christ. Verse 3, Jude writes, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Okay, so Jude is finished with his greeting. Now he's getting to the purpose of the reason he wrote to begin with, he tells us that he actually desired to write something else. He wanted to write to them uh, just on, on some soteriology, some, uh, the, the, the theology of, of salvation. He wanted to write to them talking about the salvation, but the Holy Spirit had some different plans. The Holy Spirit led him down a different path to, let, to write a defense of the faith. So instead, Jude encourages and he uh, urges his readers to contend for the faith. Contend, now that, that word contend, um, comes from uh, a Greek word um, which also gives birth to the word agony, to agonize, right? So, and, and this word appears in both military contexts and um, sporting, athletic contexts, and it means to, to fight. It means to, to struggle. To contend means to wrestle, to, to, to grapple, right? If you ever see like a UFC fight, sometimes like they're awesome, but then sometimes they're really boring. They'll kind of just grapple and they'll stay in that grappling position for like a five minute round. But they're actually really trying and really getting exhausted. It's, it's kind of that picture, that, that back and forth of the grappling. So that's what contend means. There's this, this wrestling with this intense effort. It means that it's not always going to be easy, that there are going to be times where it feels like agony, now notice what it is that we're called to contend for. We contend for what? For the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, right? So the faith here is simply talking about the gospel of Jesus and whatever else comes from his person and his work. That's what the faith is. It's all about Jesus. And because we have hearts that are prone to wander, because we're so easily distracted, Jude knew that the Christian faith would need to be consistently explained and defended. So in saying here that this was the faith once for all delivered, Jude is saying that, hey, the content that you guys have of Christ and of Christianity, it's sealed. It's complete. It's done. It doesn't need any corrections. There are no additions that anybody should add. There's no further revelation necessary. The faith has come to us decisively in Jesus Christ. And we can't or shouldn't neglect it. We shouldn't deny it. And we shouldn't change it. Because now Jude explains the reason why he writes in verse 4. He says, For certain people have crept in unnoticed 
who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So here Jude's explaining right, that, that there are certain intruders that had entered the church. They were sneaky. They're false teachers, and they perverted the gospel. Now, it's probable that their teaching didn't actually sound false at first. It probably didn't sound heretical at first. I'm sure it tickled their ears a little bit. I'm sure it was close to the truth. But that's what a lot of cults do, don't they? Right? It sounds like it might be almost there, but that's the problem. It's not there. Simply look to Jesus and you'll know if something is false teaching or not. See what they teach about Christ. See, God has always warned against false teachers. You see it in the Old Testament where God's true prophets were always warned against false prophets. Then you, you see Jesus in the New Testament warning his disciples that false teachers would come. And then you see the New Testament writers after Jesus ascended to heaven writing and saying that, yeah, false teachers are now here. And now you have Jude warning believers to guard again against these false teachers. And Jude tells us that these false teachers are going to receive their just award. What's their award? Punishment, condemnation, eternal judgment. And Jude cites then two reasons for their certain condemnation. Number one, they were perverting the grace of God. And number two, they were denying the lordship of Jesus. Right? So the application here is simply this. Know what you believe about Jesus. That is really important. Again, every application point comes from Scripture. Be in the word. Because contending for the faith isn't easy. It requires hard work. It requires diligent study. It requires a willingness to stand against society's desire to water down the gospel. It requires a willingness to speak up for the truth. It requires a willingness to bear the burden of communicating the gospel faithfully, but also relevantly so the people around us could hear it and receive it. So we can't sit idly back and enjoy uh, just uh, idly the, the mercy, the peace, and the grace that, that God has given us without moving off the couch, right? We have to express that mercy, express that peace, express that love to others when we contend for the faith. Now notice it's contending for the faith that happens lovingly, peaceably. Contending for the faith does not mean being contentious. That's not what it means. Those are very different things. So the gospel has been entrusted to us to keep it pure, to convey its pure message. So it's every single one of us who should be ready to defend the faith as we would defend any prized possession or as we would um, keep and guard any uh, sacred, uh, valuable treasure. So in our knowing what we should about Jesus. Um, in these two verses, Jude tells us three things, really, to, to be aware of. He says, beware of those who deceive the church, because that's what happened. Those, there, people had crept in, and they were deceiving the church. So Jude says, beware of those who deceive the church. And he also says, beware of those who are distorting God's truth. They're taking what God says, and they're twisting it. Gee, who else did that? Serpent, garden, ring a bell? Yeah, right? Satan and then Adam and Eve. And then we need to beware of those who deny Christ's lordship. 
Because you can't have Jesus as Savior without having him as Lord. It's one and the same. He's your Lord and he's your Savior. If he saved you, then you're going to follow him because he's your leader. He's your master. You're his bondservant. So we are soldiers entrusted with guarding the sacred treasure of the gospel. So know who you are in Christ. Know what you have from Christ. And know what you believe about Christ. Identity, blessings, and truth. And it's so amazing. You look through the scriptures, you can see all of these identity statements that just fill pages. Uh, and all of these uh, statements in, in the New Testament that says everything that, that we have in Christ. Who we are and what we have. Listen to just some of these highlights from scripture. Right? Scripture says that I am born again. It's an identity statement. I am. Scripture says, I am a child of God. I am a saint. I am the salt of the earth. I am the light of the world. I am a disciple. I am protected by the power of his name. I'm set free by his truth. I am eternally secure in Christ. I am kept from the evil one. I am one with God the Father and Jesus the Son. I am God's gift to Christ. I am alive to God in Christ Jesus. I am yielded to God. I'm not under law, but under grace. I'm freed from the power of sin. I am am free from condemnation. I am a servant of God. I am free to serve as righteousness. I am free from the vicious cycle of sin and death. I am indwelled by the Holy Spirit. I am a joint heir with Christ. I'm confident that all things work together for good. I'm being conformed to the image of Christ. I'm inseparable from the love of God. I am more than a conqueror through Christ. I am God's temple. I am washed and sanctified and justified by the blood of Jesus. Amen? Church, we are soldiers who've been trusted to guard the sacred treasure of the gospel. Would you stand as we close in prayer and one final song? And Father, we thank you so much for the truth of your word. Thank you for being a true, honest, loving, faithful father. Thank you that we could believe every word that proceeds from your mouth. God, I pray that you would equip each one of us continuously to defend the faith, to contend for the truth of the gospel. Lord, that, but that we would do so lovingly, peacefully, selflessly, humbly. Just as you reached us, Lord, help us to love and reach others. And God, those times when it's difficult for us to stand for truth, when it's not what everybody else around us is doing, when it's not the popular thing, uh, even when it's going to put a target on our backs, Lord, I pray that you, by your spirit, would give us the courage to take a stand for, for truth, to take a stand for Jesus, who is the truth. God, we thank you for who we are in Christ, for all that you've given us in Christ. Lord, and I pray that we will leave here later um, with a, a newfound devotion to your word and trust 
in your spirit to contend for the faith through us. We pray all these things in Jesus' powerful name and all God's children said, amen.